0: Hello and welcome to Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our health IT series from the AMA MSS Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Matthew Swanson and I'm a medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine and I'll be your host for today. Today we're joined by Dr. Anupam Jena, the Ruth L. Newhouse Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Jena. Thanks for having me. So to, to get things started, I wanted to I wanted to ask, how are you involved in the health IT space, and uh, what are you currently working on?
1: I, I would say I'm mostly a consumer of health health IT. I mean, uh, I think the two two places it affects my life. One is as a, as a physician. I, w- I work at Mass General Hospital, and so I, you know, obviously, use the EHR and, and clinical work. Uh, a lot of the research that I do. Kind of relies indirectly on components that are that are in in EHRs. I, I use a lot of insurance claims data uh, for my research, and, and the reason why is because it's large data. We have pretty rich information on patients, their medical histories, what medications they take, which doctors they see, which hospitals they end up getting hospitalized at if they are hospitalized, and then are often able to link it to, to outcomes. And, and some of that data derives from either EHR. Um, EHRs themselves or from the billing platforms that are embedded in the EHR. So that's kind of the, the way that that aspect of medicine and healthcare touches my life, my professional life.
0: Yeah. So I can imagine that at least with EHR right now, there's just a lot of that out there. And, uh, you know, I know uh, one of the things you're known for is asking, you know, interesting questions that other people haven't thought of. Um, so I just to dive a little bit deeper into this, uh, what do you think is the impact of, uh, of your work?
1: Um, you know, I I kind of think about my work as um, really kind of bringing together the the way that economists think to some of the problems that we see and deal with in, in healthcare and and medicine. Um, I always kind of describe my work as being really just kind of creative and and sometimes, to be honest, asking questions that are probably not the most important pressing questions that medicine tackles, but are nonetheless, I think, really interesting and fun and can get people who have either experienced these issues or people who are interested in medicine excited about doing, doing research. And uh, I don't think there need to be a thousand people like me doing this kind of work. Uh, there's a niche that I fill, which is really kind of tackling these quirky and interesting questions using big data uh, and the tools of economics. Uh, but I, I ultimately do the work because I, I enjoy doing it. It's fun. And the part of the process that I enjoy the most is that creative process, of so just coming up with ideas. And there's one thing that I could, you know, convey to people who who read papers that I write, uh, you know, I think it would be just learn to think a little bit outside the box, because there's, there's a ton of questions that you can answer. Every, every paper or most papers take the same amount of time to write a creative paper and a not so creative paper, a well done paper, a, a not so well done paper, they all take time. Um, and so, why not try to figure out things that are creative um, in the process?
0: No, definitely. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you know something exciting to endeavor towards. Um, you know this this conversation is tailored towards a lot of medical students. So, a question that I wanted to ask you is: in pursuing you know this um, these research objective objectives, have you encountered any challenges along the way? Um,
1: yeah, I think I think the biggest challenge is trying to convince people that the type of work that I do has has some value? Because as I alluded to, a lot of the questions that I, that I explore uh, aren't going to rise to the same level as trying to understand and you know, decompose and offer solutions to um, systemic disparities in healthcare. Obviously, a super important question. Uh, before we, we start our interview today, you asked me about a study that we did um, in the New York Times, which is about uh, how uh, driving behavior responds to fast and furious movie releases. And, uh, you know, that's a fun question. I, I would like to think that the question is not just limited to whether or not fast and furious movies have this unintended effect on on driving behavior, but maybe as, as answering a more fundamental question that, that actually physicians and health policy research thinker think about, which is what's the impact of media on behavior? I mean, there's like Probably hundreds of studies that link video game uh, playing and watching violent movies to certain forms of behavior. None of those studies are causal. We shouldn't really kind of look at them as being causal. And the reason why is that people who play violent video games tend to be different than people who, who don't. And you don't know that's the video games that are causing a certain behavior that you're studying, as opposed to the underlying characteristics and behaviors of that person in the first place. Uh, and so the, the Fast and Furious study, while it was really fun, and the reason I was attracted to it, is because it was was fun, I think helps at least propose a way that people who are interested in these questions in the clinical world could use tools from economics. It's a natural experiment. You know, these movies just come out on certain days of the year, and you can look at changes in behavior that is specifically highlighted and glorified by that movie, which is, it's fast. It's about, like I said, it's about fast driving, not the slow and deliberate driving, right? So you, you have a very clear prediction about what you'd expect to see. Um, yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge that, that I face.
0: Yeah. Um, So, you know, just talking about medical students, a lot of the research and the studies that we see, at least from my perspective, they don't really, for the most part, you don't really come across very many people asking fun and creative questions, Uh, questions that, you know, um, uh, questions that I don't know how to describe it, but um, uh, fun questions, I guess. So it's nice to introduce you as someone that, you know, the, these people exist out there. There's there's mentors out there. There's, there's people that are asking these questions and that's something that, you know, medical students can do as well. Um.
1: You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform. Supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild.
0: So another question, you know, it's been a crazy year this past year. Uh, Has COVID impacted your work in any way?
1: No, not at all. Wait, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it 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 certainly <laughs> it certainly impacted uh my life as long as everybody else's life. I mean, I'm I'm very blessed, and, and so the impacts on me are much, much smaller than on, on most others. Um, you know, I have um I have kind of intentionally stayed away from COVID-related research, um, in part because there's just a flurry of people asking a flurry of questions, and it's hard to rise, um, kind of rise above the uh above the 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 voluminous number of studies that are being performed. Um, We do have a study that we've done on COVID, which is kind of uh, close to my form of other types of work. And I'm guessing that this study will come out before the the podcast or the show is released, so I can, I can disclose it here. Um, The basic idea behind uh, the study was the following is how do you know whether or not social gatherings, small social gatherings lead um, to disease spread? Uh, which is obvious in some sense because we know how the disease spreads. It spreads by person-to-person contact largely. Um, but how do you quantify exactly how much a single social gathering uh, would have an impact on the likelihood of uh, the person who gathered getting COVID nineteen? That's like an important question for policy people. Um, it's an important question for epidemiologists who are trying to model um, how interactions between human beings, uh, you know, lead to further growth of the disease. Uh, The insight that we had or the the problem that we recognized was that this is a hard question to study because people who tend to gather um, socially may be different than people who don't. And so if we see differences in COVID-19 rates between those who gather and those who don't, how do we know that that's because of the decision to gather versus all the other things that they may have decided to do or not do, like wear masks or go to bars or restaurants, whatever, whatever it may be. Second problem is you need data on people who are gathering and not gathering, and then you have to link that to whether or not they got COVID-19. All of these things are challenging. And the, the kind of the idea that we had, which I thought was, was somewhat clever, was let's look at people uh, who have birthdays. So let's look at insurance claims data where we have data on millions of Americans. We know in those data when the beneficiary in the health plan has a birthday. And we just look to see whether or not rates of COVID-19 go up in the two weeks following the birthday Uh, among people who had a birthday, compared to people who didn't have a birthday. And the thought is that people who have a birthday have a particular reason to celebrate sometime around the date of their birthday. Um, And that's something that we can identify in large data. Um, And we can identify the consequences of potentially gathering, and that's COVID-19. And so what we found was that rates of COVID-19 go up quite a bit in the two weeks following uh, an individual's birthday. Uh, we looked at whether or not that varied based on the politics of the county. So maybe you'd think that in in red counties uh, of the country that um, that effect would be larger. Turns out it's not. So both in blue areas and red areas of this country, people are gathering uh, for their birthdays uh, and that exposes them to greater risk. So it's not a it's not a political thing. Um, We looked at whether or not certain milestone birthdays have a larger effect. So maybe it's like the 30th birthday or the 40th birthday or a kid's 16th birthday has a bigger effect. No, no real effect on on milestone birthdays. One thing that we found that was interesting was that um, child birthdays seem to be important. So if the household has a child who has a birthday, that leads to a much more dramatic, a larger increase in COVID-19 in the household in the two weeks following then if the household had an adult birthday, so this is kind of a fun exploration <laughs> of a question um, that kind of met two criteria. It was, I think, informative as to, to to some you know something about the pandemic, but it also kind of falls in my wheelhouse and interest of being just fun and creative use of large data.
0: Yeah, no, sounds like a fascinating study, and I'm excited to see it once it comes out and read a little bit more about it. Sounds like a at least how you explained it, really complex uh, problem to tackle. So at least the uh, creative lens that your team took is uh, it's like pretty exciting of itself. Um, so Dr. Jenna, uh, I want to ask as well, um, you know, some of the changes that have been imposed by COVID in the health information technology space, I imagine that a lot of data has been created. There's a lot more um, use of the electronic health record and telemedicine. What do you think is going to stick around?
1: Um, My guess is that uh, the changes that we've observed with respect to telemedicine are probably going to stick around. I think providers recognize that it's um, quite valuable to them to be able to um, have more flexibility in the way they provide care. Uh, I'm sure for patients for certain types of care, certain types of visits, they're going to recognize or already recognize that they probably didn't need to be seen um, by a doctor. So I think we would we will we can expect to see an expansion in, in, sort of, in that sort of care, telemedicine care. We might even see substitution of some um, in-person visits um, uh, as well. I'm sure people are going to be studying what's the effect of greater telemedicine access and use in the future on quality and cost of care. I mean, there's no doubt people are going to study that. Um, you know the type of question that would interest me is to say, well, what you know what happens if we keep patients, outside of doctor's offices uh, because of telemedicine? Are they less likely to get hospital-acquired infections, spread disease? And those are the types of things I would think about as, as being kind of fun and, and interesting to study. Um, as far as electronic health records, I don't know that the pandemic will necessarily have had a huge effect on how EHRs are used. I, I think that the biggest place is going to be really in, in, um, in telemedicine.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And uh just right from there, keeping people out of the hospitals. And those infections. I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder what that impact will be. So hopefully someone studies that and I can read about it one of these days.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. uh,
0: So Dr. Jenna, as a a future physician, how do you see the future of health information technology in 10 to 15 years when I'm practicing?
1: Uh, I think it's gonna be different um, and it'll probably be different in a few ways. So one is that I think it'll be able to help your practice as a doctor more than it's been able to help you to date. And and to be clear, I think it's been incredibly helpful. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's a a revolution compared to like say 15 years ago. Um, But I think the development of predictive tools that leverage in real time electronic health record data probably can be influential uh, to physician decision-making in the real time. So when you see a patient in the hospital um, and you're making a differential diagnosis, perhaps there'd be a tool that would automatically query the EHR, uh, including labs, um, uh, notes by consultants and other physicians, and then provide differential diagnoses that you hadn't considered. That's kind of maybe something that's a little bit further afield than the current applications. We could totally see something like that happening um, in, in I think, well, less than than 15 years. Um, I think there's already a lot of exposure of researchers to electronic health record-based data um, the harder question has been to date is how to kind of curate that data in a way that's analytically tractable for our, for researchers. And, and already there's a lot of headway that's been made um, um, in, in that space as well. So I, I think for a lot of reasons, um, we can expect EHR data, health IT, uh, to, to kind of continue to affect the practice of medicine and the way that we produce and use knowledge in medicine.
0: Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Um... Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Jenna. Uh, Thanks for talking with us today. Um, I want to wrap things up now and, um, and ask you, do you have any channels where people can connect with you and uh, follow your work?
1: Yeah. um, I'm always happy to to take emails from, from students um, and people who are interested in the work. I mean, I I certainly prioritize students. Uh, I was a student not too long ago. And, and uh, I think it's important to kind of nurture, nurture young minds and, and I'd be, flying if I didn't have a selfish interest in getting people to think the way I think and work on the types of questions I work on. So, of course, yeah. of course not as good as me because I don't want to like, you know, eliminate my <laughs> advantage for, for the time being. Um, but so, you know, I'm always happy to respond to emails. Um, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. So I, I use that uh, once in a while. Um, um, I'm writing a book, launching a podcast, hopefully soon. So those will be other ways that people can um, get involved also.
0: Well, everyone, that's all for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your time today, Dr. Jenna. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.